This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who is so happy to be reunited with her V. I missed you. I missed you too. With the Mark Mir episode coming out, it's been three weeks since we sat together. Oh my god. For an actual episode. Yeah, it's That's... been a really long time. Anyway, I'm Vervada, the girl who is doing great, I guess, allegedly, according to my doctor after my surgery. But I feel like a bag of shit. So it's fine. Narcotics are okay. They help. <laughs> v is Bo Burnham tonight. Yeah, we're going to bring you some content now. <laughs> yes. Daddy made you some content. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so open your mouth wide. Okay. No, this is not a horny episode. It's a sad episode. So keep out the horn for now. We're going to find a way. I mean, we're talking about Jack tonight also, so there is a little bit of horniness. Yeah, we'll get to the horny. If you are new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters using specific in-game dialogue, so if you want to stay spoiler-free... And this isn't the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7. And if you want to know what happens in Mass Effect 3, if none of the characters we are talking about today are in your playthrough, go watch Sam's neutral Jerry Shepard streams. It's insanity. And... Just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume that you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question, but we will be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. Mm, sweet, sweet context. In today's episode, we have three characters we need to discuss. So busy. Sounds like quite a lot, doesn't it? Well, don't worry. One of them is barely worth mentioning, but we have vowed to analyze all that video game romance has to offer. So today we're going to talk about love, death, and biotics. It's the episode on Thane Krios, Samara, and Jack from Mass Effect 3, including their Citadel DLC scenes. We're going to start with Samara because she has almost no content in this. It was good to see her again. Perhaps it's unseemly for a Justicar to dwell so much on her family. I'm just happy things worked out. I was fortunate that Falaire saw things so clearly. And it would have turned out quite differently without your intervention. Thank you. Good luck out there, Samara. You as well. I don't know if you believe in such things. But Goddess, go with you, Shepard. Your time is precious. Spend it wisely. And with those who care for you. So, as we know by now, the third game is all about destroying the Reapers in a last-ditch effort via the Crucible. 
If you listen to our Mass Effect 2 episode on Samara and her daughter Morinth, you'd know that you can't really romance Samara. She's married to her mission, but in what might be the end of all things, Samara lets her resolve slip just a little. We don't get a full romance, meaning that it doesn't count towards the romance achievement, but we get an acknowledgement of the shared love between them. Yeah, who does it for the achievement? I mean, not me. But anyway, Samara can help the crew of the Normandy out for this game, but she won't be a crew member. Mainly, we see her for her mission to help the Asari at the Ardat Yakshi Monastery on Lessus, and unfortunately, one or both of her remaining daughters will die here. Poor Samara. I personally always make it a point to save Falir and Samara, as Samara may not survive this mission either if you're not careful. But she will for us, obviously, because we are pining after her, and she will become a war asset. Yay! <laughs> and this mission is basically it for Samara, outside of seeing her in the Citadel DLC. There is no character development really beyond this next interaction with her in Anderson's apartment. I came as quickly as I could. What's wrong? I didn't mean to worry you. When I saw you were on the Citadel, I wanted to see you again. We've said our farewells, Shepard. Are we going to stand out formalities? These big picture windows remind me of our talks in the Normandy's observation lounge. This view doesn't have quite the same effect as a galaxy of stars, but I can see where it might make one sentimental. I also enjoyed our talks, Shepard. Very much. Really glad you came. Oh, look what I found. An old issue of Justicar Heroes, May 2140. It says that you personally lifted 50 refugees across a raging floodplain on Nevos after smugglers blew up a dam. That news source has been known to exaggerate. So you didn't almost drown while saving a child who had been torn from her mother's grasp? Amazing. You've made me blush, Shepard. Not an easy feat. I've missed you. I was surprised how strongly I felt when I saw you on Lesson. I still care for you. You told me once, in another time, another life. Well, times are different. Everything has changed. This is unexpected. I don't know that my answer can be different, Shepard. But you are correct. My way of life is dying. We've already lost so much. Let's embrace the way we feel right now. Your point is well made. Still, I must honor my code and make no promises. Samara. Just hold me now. Let us live in this moment. so sweet and touching and the line is really fitting in mass effect 2 samara says in another time in another place we could have made it work and then for shepherd to bring that back up the times are different there's another place it's another time why not give it a shot and 
I wish that they had either done more with this or not hinted at it at all. It feels like the ultimate tease. And I don't like edge play. I kind of like the idea that Samara and Zaid hooked up at the party. Because that's just hilarious. And while this isn't the romance for me, I am happy for those of you who do choose it. I don't know. I must be a sucker for pain because I kind of like it. <laughs> I think it's great that she's willing to just be in the moment and pretend that this is the other time and other place, other life that they could be together. Samara has an astounding level of will, of control, and is very close friends with sacrifice. She is near the end of her vast lifespan as an Asari, and she's probably seen a lot of lovers die in her time. She's seen potentially two of her daughters. Or no, she's seen two of her daughters die for Robert Morinth. <laughs> yeah, or maybe three if you uh, didn't do the mission well enough. She has seen new races join the Galaxy Society and has probably seen the best and worst that they all have to offer. She's wrapped herself in this idea of being alone forever, comfortable with that fate the way a gun is comfortable with a bullet, a necessary part required to use the tool. One good thing about the end of the world as we know it is you get to entertain the impossible for just a little while. So maybe all they got was a kiss and a hug in front of the large picture window. Because I am a sucker, I thought of this quote from Arwen Undomio from Lord of the Rings where she said, I would rather share one lifetime with you than face all the ages of this world alone. I think Samara would agree right now. Aww. Really quote. I am all for the pain and pleasure of it, as long as I get a payoff in the end. And then this one, I just don't feel that I do. So. <laughs> you need more pleasure than pain? Not necessarily, but I need at least a, a, <laughs> a payoff at the end. And a kiss ain't enough, honey. <laughs> well, good thing we're moving on to the next person. Yes! Jack. Come to the rescue, Jack. So that is all for Samara. But don't be too sad. We get to talk about Jack next. And she has some of the best romance dialogue in this game. Well, at least I think so. So, about you and me. I get it. You've only got one real love in your life. The Reapers. They're the only thing keeping you awake at night. Which is too bad. Because I'm a much better lay. I'm sorry I left. <laughs> Hell yeah, you should be. Maybe you can apologize some more when this is over. The broken but angry Jack that we knew and loved in Mass Effect 2 is different now. For one thing, she has hair in the form of a shaved ponytail. And honestly, I need to know what kind of 2186 hair treatments they have that allow her to grow hair like almost 12 inches in the span of six months. But that's beside the point. Besides her hair and her clothes, she carries herself differently. She has a new purpose. And when we last saw her, she was mainly out to get revenge on Cerberus and fighting to reclaim her freedom. She bombed the facility on Pragya 
and helped you defeat the collectors. But where did that leave her? Well, luckily for her, the Alliance swooped in and offered her a lifeline. Yay, Alliance. So she was offered a teaching position at Grissom Academy, the same place you meet up with her again in Mass Effect 3, to teach young biotics a combat-focused curriculum, to put it lightly. She's had to compromise a bit. She's not allowed to curse quite so much, because apparently this is the good place, and it's just not professional to say naughty words in front of students. (sighs) They say they're kids, but they're all like adult-sized in the game, so it's really hard to tell. They're definitely at least teenagers. However, to absolutely no one's surprise, the students have responded very well to Jack's unconventional teaching style and have even nicknamed her the Psychotic Biotic. This is an affectionate nickname. And the affection goes both ways. Jack has grown very attached to her students in seeing them the young biotic she once was. And she has vowed to herself to teach them how she would have wanted to be taught. This is incredibly therapeutic for Jack. While she will always harbor the trauma from the intense abuse she endured for most of her life so far, this is a way for her to heal. You've probably heard about healing your inner child. Well, actually a real thing called inner child work. The idea behind that is that some people continue behavior patterns from their childhood into their adult life, and this can cause navigating the world to be difficult, to put it lightly. Not everyone has as damaged of an inner child as Jack has, of course. But the concept is still the same. To heal your inner child is to become a more functional adult. Jack's students might be a proxy for her own childhood self. She's literally healing herself with every lesson to those Grissom Academy kids. I have to say, Jack, you look good. (laughs) Save it for shore leave, big guy. That's not what I meant. Yeah, well, maybe some of your attitude rubbed off on me. I never had a family. And these guys... (laughs) anyone screws with my students, I will tear them apart. I love to hear it. Of course, you wouldn't hear that or know any of this if you don't do the side quest that is saving the Grissom Academy kids. You must do this if you want to continue the romance with her in this game. And besides, you do not want to see what happens to Jack if you don't save them or if they die later on. Save these students, and by extension, save Jack. So once the smoke clears from the Cerberus attack, this is when you can finally reunite fully with Jack. How nice it must be to finally be able to hold your lover again, the man who showed you what it means to really love, to really respect you. Except, mm, that's not exactly what happens. Jack has some residual anger at you for leaving her. Uh, I just want to say... In no way, shape, or form is it ever okay to hit your partner in anger. Just standard rule. Jen has some more thoughts on this particular scene. And I'm all for nuance, but I just wanted to put that out there. That we do not support domestic violence. That was for leaving, dumbass. I 
turn myself in to the Alliance, Jack. Yeah? And how'd that work out for you? Did they listen? Didn't think so. You could have stayed. Instead, you decided to go play soldier. Sounds like you're doing that yourself these days. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. I can't think of anybody who could care about them more. Well, I had some free time while you were off playing hero. Alliance Brass knew I helped you. They offered me this. And apparently the students responded well to my teaching style. The psychotic biotic! I will destroy you! Drink your juice, Rodriguez. You couldn't destroy wet tissue paper. Okay. Yes, we need to talk about this punch. It's the opening smack that you hear, and then immediately after, Jack is kissing you. And then you can hear the kids going, woo, in the background. It's cute. To me, there is a clear distinction of hitting a person when you think they are being stupid, and hitting a former lover because you are hurt. The only way to slap Jacob in the Citadel DLC is to have romanced him as a femshep in Mass Effect 2. Jack, on the other hand, slaps the stupid out of femshep, broshep, lover, or not. This means that it's a part of Jack's personality. And honestly, it's pretty well established that she doesn't know how to deal with all those big emotions all that well. So it doesn't read to me as abuse the same way that the Jacob slap does. It's still not okay, but the fact that it isn't romance or gender lock makes it feel more of a friend smacking you for being a dumbass. Not an I need to get my anger out in an unhealthy way by hitting a lover who hurt me. What yeah, do you think? Yeah, I see that. No, I think I think that's true. I also think it's hard to tell if you only romance Jack and you don't know, you know? Mm. So, like, outside as a player, like, Googling it, you could realize that. But when you're playing the game as Shepard, there is no other alternative. So, like, in that particular context... It just feels, I mean, like you shouldn't hurt anybody. This is like a crazy world with extreme circumstances as all games are, because why would we play them unless they were like life simulation games or whatever? And even so, everyone psychotically deletes the doors in their Sims houses. So we still find a way to mess everything up. But in this game, you know, everything's crazy. And Jack is is crazy even amongst all the crazy, for lack of a better word, because crazy can be not a nice word. But, you know, so, like, that's just her natural response because she doesn't know what a proper healthy response is. But you still shouldn't hit anybody. I wish she wouldn't. I understand why she did. Yeah. Anyway, just like with all the other previous romances from Mass Effect 2 that are no longer full companions in Mass Effect 3, unfortunately, you don't get to see much of Jack throughout the rest of this game after her Grissom Academy mission. Like my favorite band, Fall Out Boy, said back in 2014... You're a cherry blossom, you're about to bloom, you look so pretty, but you're gone so soon. Thanks to the Citadel DLC, though, we get some great additional dialogue scenes like this one. Hell yeah! Ha! <laughs> Go for it! <laughs> <laughs> Captain on deck! 
Has he always been like this? Shepard is saving the galaxy. You have to forgive a few eccentricities. It's very enthusiastic. It is impressive. We should record this and broadcast it for the Reapers. They'll either run away, melt down, or fall in love. Don't tire yourself out flailing like that, Shepard. We're doing it on the table later. Hey, some of us eat at that table. <laughs> Buddy, you got that right. Scandal. Scandalous. <laughs> uh, I, I picked that clip i love it so much it's so great i love jack and all of the all of the banter in citadel especially the party scene is just tis peak my lord uh shep likes to give oral that's what i got from that scene and i'm all here for it oh my god i didn't even think about that i mean oh I my guess god i thought that's why you put that in the line hey some of us eat at that table you're well, damn yeah. right they do i thought she was just being like punny at him but i didn't really think oh yeah duh that he could literally be doing that mm -hmm. i guess so good for you jack uh i'm pretty sure that there is video that shall never be shared of me doing the jack dance because i've done the shepherd shuffle i've done the renegade shuffle but Get me drunk enough and I will jack dance. <laughs> My favorite is the other date that they get. The one that any shepherd can get. And that is going to the Armax Arsenal Arena and blowing up an atlas. But for a romance shepherd, you get this lovely added line at the end. I found the version where Shep is also a biotic to be the best. But there is another version uh, with a soldier shepherd talking about popping thermal clips. That's also kind of cute. I'm gonna beat you until candy comes out! Damn! Are you as turned on right now as I am? Oh, hell yes. That's my boy. We need biotic detonations. Keep laying down warp fields. Or a wide area pull. Any preference? Just give me something I can blow. It is so good. So not only does Shep like to give oral, but Jack likes to reciprocate. Oh, it doesn't matter. Just give me something I can blow. Fuck yes. It is. This relationship is perfection, guys. <laughs> I love it. And just in case that last line in the audio wasn't clear because of all the explosions going off, Shep says, you're cute when you talk dirty, grabs her by the waist, pulls her in for a kiss and as the atlas is exploding it pans over to a holographic volcano exploding and i love the obvious symbology there i also love the fact that all rmax arsenal arena fights are broadcast live to everybody watching in the stands 
I'm pretty sure that my shepherd now has a sex tape out there. But it's not all fun and games, though. That's the gift of the Citadel DLC. It is the eye of the storm, a calm before the crucible. Some of the romance scenes in this DLC are silly. Some are cute, some are tragic, and some are downright sexy. Jack's secondary scene is a little bit of all of that. And it is just as emotionally vulnerable and open as it was in the second game. If you haven't heard my breakdown of that scene, go check out episode number 24. And take a listen to this scene with Jack back at the apartment. What are you doing? It's a surprise. I like surprises. Good. Get undressed. This isn't what I was expecting. That's why they call it a surprise, dumbass. Quit squirming. You're licensed for this, right? Shepard, slinging ink is art. You don't need a license to make art. Actually, I'm pretty sure you... Quit squirming. You still haven't told me what I'm getting. You're getting this. I hope you like it, because it's too late now. It's nice. Nice? It's not about nice. On this one bad drop on Palavin, I had to pull Rodriguez out from under a pile of husks. And if I hadn't recognized her ugly fucking boot, I wouldn't have seen her. She'd have died under there. Yeah. Okay, we're done. for an ID. Good enough so that if you're ever hurt, barely breathing, lying under a pile of rubble at the ass end of this war. Hey, you worry too much. I don't know what to say. It's funny. And it's flirty. You don't need a license for art. And calling Broshep a dumbass? Only Jack is that brave. Only these two have that level of teasing love. Then she gets real. She is able to be fully open and vulnerable with him and explain why it is so important that he gets something to identify himself. And then, of course, the complete foreshadowing of hurt, barely breathing, lying under a pile of rubble, the ass end of this war. Oh, my Jack. How I love you. God, I mean, I love Courtney Taylor, too. The way she delivered that line. You can hear her tears in her voice. <sighs> so well done. It's so well done. I think this scene shows just how far Jack has truly come to be able to let go of Shepard without shoving Shepard out and rebuilding her walls back up. She's let him in during the last game, and even though she knows their lives are anything but guaranteed, she hasn't shut him out to protect herself like she would have done just a year ago. Back then, she had told Shepard that she didn't need the complication, that letting someone in just to watch them die would leave you empty like a husk. If you remember, Shepard told her that while he can't fix that with a few conversations, he never said she wasn't worth staying with anyway. Jack finally understands that. She's literally watching him potentially sacrifice himself for her and the rest of the galaxy. 
And instead of quitting, she's literally marked him as hers. I love that she's come all that way. And I also want to know why we can't get tattoos that quickly now. I would love that. Right. That, that, that was like five second tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> In the fifth element where Lilu just takes like the makeup mask and it just writes on her face. I mean, if they can do that with makeup, I'm pretty sure that they can do that with t- with tattoo guns. So yeah, all true. we got to do is like wait another hundred years, honey, and then we'll be there. <sighs> okay. Better drink some green juice, some shit, so I can last. Right. I want tattoo technology to increase. <laughs> I do. I have to use lidocaine lotion because I'm a little bitch. Mm. But I still want tattoos. I sit like a fucking rock. But that's besides the point. But... I love how both of us are always opposite. <laughs> right? I'm like, I got... I got a wrist tattoo and a finger tattoo, and those are apparently two, and a rib cage tattoo, and those are, like, apparently the most painful places to get tattooed. And Shep, being a whiny little bitch, we have a tattoo in the same spot, Bo. It is not Mm. that difficult to get one on the back of your shoulder, so shut the fuck up. But for those of you who are wondering, the tattoo itself is a red omega symbol with 11 spikes coming off the outside of the arch and a black outlined human skull inside the arch. Okay. I may be reading too far into it, but to me, there is a lot of symbology in there. For starters, it's the same one that she has on her back. We can clearly see it in Mass Effect 2, when there's only the little red barrier over it. And in the Art of Mass Effect book, we get a good look at it. Except her version only has 10 spikes coming off of it. And the art book says that it is there to represent years spent. Don't know where, don't know doing what, but 10 spikes to represent 10 years. I believe that the 11 spikes that she puts on him are the crewmates you had on the Normandy in Mass Effect 2. Jack herself, along with Miranda, Jacob, Morden, Garrus, Brunt, Ali, Samara, Legion, Kasumi, and Zaid. The missing 12th being Thane, who at this point has already passed away in order to unlock the Citadel DLC scene. And the Omega symbol is not for Arya's world, but as the last letter in the Greek alphabet. It's often used to represent last, the end, or the ultimate limit of a set. The skull is Shepard. Jack knows what the most likely outcome is, even if she wants him to survive. I never thought about it. The thought I had when she tattooed him was, well, two things. First was, is she going to, like, go and strip every body she finds to look at the shoulder? Because, like, boots, you know, you're wearing them, so it's, like, easier to spot. But she'd have to, like, get down to his skin to identify him with a tattoo. But then my other thought was, she picked a tattoo because she has so many. Like, tattoos are her thing. But I never really thought about why she chose what she chose. So I'm really glad that you did. (laughs) Yeah. I think I agree with what you put. I'm sure it has meaning 
she obviously it definitely does like everything that she has on her everybody's tattoos have meaning even if it's just i don't know i was drunk and i wanted to get a tattoo <laughs> still something yeah but right. yeah i love i love that she did that um i'm all about i mean i have a tattoo like a couple's tattoo with my husband so i do love it i think Yay. it was cute <laughs> all right are you ready to move forward that forward operating base then that beam run well jack like miranda and steve isn't there for you at the front but rather at a different location shepherd shepherd is that you jack how are you guys good so far we're away south of your position Rodriguez actually tore that little shoulder head off one of those Batarian things. It was great. I'll see you on the other side. Don't get killed, dumbass. When this is over, I'm getting laid. I love you too. So perfect. Don't get killed, dumbass. I'm getting laid. I love you too. Like the Han Solo, but reversed. It's a reverse I know. While I wish that Jack could have been a squatty, what they did for her was so good. Jack is with her kids right where she needs to be. I like it too. It makes sense that she's with them. And I think it's also yet another continuation of her character growth in like her first secure attachment of her life. Like she doesn't need to be right there with him. And she was never going to be clingy like that anyway. She would have just been gone. The fact that she's just a few miles away fighting the same fight as him and communicating with him, you know, they're still together. She's not afraid like she was in her past. So I think that I love her journey as a character, especially if, as a romanced character. I wish that they could have had more time, just like everybody else. It's all about time. None so much. Yeah, it's, it's literally all about time. It's And none so much as our next character, who didn't get nearly enough time. Oh, God. All right. Well, before we set off to the distant shore of the infinite spirit, let's go take a listen to our sponsors, talk about some fun facts, and thank the patrons. Let's go into a mid-break shepherd shuffle dance. Because we have fun facts to talk about. Now, during the Grissom Academy mission, Liara can actually reveal that Jack's actual first name is Jennifer. So, another Jen, another Jennifer. Yeah, another Genesis. Maybe that's why I like her. Except I think that Jack fits her way better. Another interesting fact about Jack is that she may have been partly inspired by the character Jack B. Bad, also called Kira in the Chronicles of Riddick. Like, Jack is in, not in the Chronicles of Riddick, but she was in the original one called Pitch Black. Like, the character of Riddick was created, which is also from a book series. So, there's a lot going on there. But the shaved head and breaking out of prisons. It's like the only possible similar similarities, but you never know. It could be. 
Yeah, it, it could be a reach, but just a mild stretch. Who knows? Anyway, also Pitch Black is oh so good. I haven't seen it in so long. I need to watch it again. It's on Netflix right now. Um, I just rewatched oh, the the entire the all three oh movies gosh. in a row, like a couple. So you actually my... wrote this the week that I watched it. Like I had just finished watching oh, really? all three movies, and then I went into the script, and I'm like, "You have my Netflix, bro? What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> no that's so funny i haven't seen them in so long i just saw that uh, around the internet and i was like oh yeah i could see it i could see it i could also just see that those two characters are built on the same tropes so that's why they're so similar but Mm -hmm. i love it i don't care give me more of those i've got some fun facts uh a fun fact (laughs) about our next character thane thane is voiced by actor keith farley who has been in a ton of stuff. He provided the voice work for Kellogg in Fallout 4 and Studious Vadis in Horizon Forbidden West, who, if you don't remember who that is, he was that annoying guy you go down in the elevator with at Baron Light in like, the beginning of the game. And he's also done a ton of other acting roles and video game voices. He's got a great voice. What can I say? Thane does have a really good voice. Um. Okay, so up next... We are at 115 ratings on Spotify, and that just makes my heart so damn happy that it's only 10 away from our goal of 125. So please go on to your Spotify app and click those five stars, please. Pretty, pretty, please. And you can also comment on our most recent episodes. I go through and I publish comments at least once a week, if not more often, and I know that we are getting more and more of them. So keep them coming. They make me happy. <laughs> and of course, I need to thank our patrons, Toasty and Apollo, Becky and Boutnut, Bat Knight, <laughs> Cloudy and Wynn, Mystios, the Cups, and Lizzie. You guys are so amazing. And I love you all. Big heart major loves. Mwah. Big heart major love. Just going to steal your catchphrase. That's fine. (laughs) I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Yeah, this is the part where I'm supposed to say, hey, Jen, are you ready to cry for Thane? Because I am never ready. but Never always ready. Always never ready. I know. I love to feel so sad. I, I don't know why. I just, I love to love this tragedy. It's so well done. All right, V. You have only made my life better. You gave me you and Kolyat. Even the Omega-4 relay made me feel purposeful. We are alive, Sia. And when we are not... I will meet you across the sea. If you're listening to this, you are probably familiar with Thane's story. But if you're not, get ready. The Thane that we knew before, the strong, precise, and dedicated assassin from the last game, is a shadow of his former self in this game. His chronic disease is in the late stages, and he does not have much more life to live. In fact, he has already lived past his doctor's best estimates. 
Keppel's syndrome essentially affects the body's ability to use oxygen and prevents the blood from producing hemoglobin. In this late stage, Thane can sometimes feel like he can't catch his breath at all or will faint suddenly. He is basically slowly suffocating. It's such a tragedy to have such such an amazing being whittled away like this. This is why Thane is such an important character. And we did talk about this in his Mass Effect 2 episode as well. But Thane has a chronic condition, a disability. He is still a whole person with great characterization. His diagnosis doesn't define him. Like I said in his last episode, we all might have wanted him to be cured somehow, but we don't have space magic in real life. And it does those of us living with a chronic health condition so much good to see a capable, strong, resilient, and vulnerable character, a whole person who also just happens to live with some kind of disability. But the days are past where he could operate as if his lungs were working properly. He's come to terms with it, but Shepard hasn't. I'm back on the Normandy on an important mission. Sure could use you. I would not be as I was before. I need daily medical attention. And if I know you, you will want to fight the Reapers somehow. You need the best at your side. And I am not at mine. You don't have to wrestle down Krogan and break their necks. I'm sure we could find you lighter work. I am at peace with what I've done in my life, Shepard. There comes a time when one must rest from war and conflict. It is not your time, but it is mine. But it is not yet Thane's time to rest either. So the next time that we see Thane, it is during the attempted Cerberus coup on the Citadel. Thane actually is the one who warns Shepard and the rest of the crew about the plot before the Normandy even docks. And then stupid fucking Kylang happens. Thane is such a powerful fighter, an accomplished assassin, that he manages to get the better of Kylang even though his lungs are straining to work, his blood lacking crucial oxygen. If Thane had been at his prime, Kai Lang would have ended up just a body on the ground here. Instead, Thane is stabbed in the stomach, and Kai Lang runs off like the little bitch she is. Such a fucking coward. I don't even care that Troy Baker voiced Kai Lang. He's the worst. I don't think I can hate a character more. Even though I love the voice actor. I do love Troy Baker. He did a good job voicing a shitty-ass character. Thane is rushed into surgery, but it's too late. Even with his son, Kolyat, able to donate blood for a transfusion, Thane's body's tired. His soul's ready to cross the sea. And I'm going to cry because my cat just left me, so now I don't even have my comfort animal to deal with this. Oh, I'm super going to cry. I can already feel it. See her. I'm afraid I've picked a bad time to leave. You couldn't disappoint me, Thane. Not even now. Such pleasant things from your lips. <coughs> Excuse me. Breathing is difficult. See her. It will be soon. I need 
Joseph's father. Three are alive thanks to you and Shepard. Udina, he instigated it. He is dead. There's something I must do before it gets worse. I must... It is so powerful. If you haven't romanced Thane as a female, as a femship, you still get the lines of the prayer that is meant for you. Yeah. It takes on a new meaning if you've romanced him, though. You know, in some ways, it's a blessing that Shepard has to focus on fighting the Reapers. Bereavement the name for mourning the loss of a loved one is one of the most painful things anyone can go through. I'm sure we all know that. In the scene we just played, Shepard said, you won't be alone long. There's another version of this line where she'll say that she'll meet him across the sea, which is the drill version of the afterlife. Either way, it tells us where she's at with her belief in the odds of survival. Now that Thane has gone to the shore, Shepard can actually romance someone else in this game. I don't know why you would do that, but you technically can. We aren't going to do that because if we did, we'd miss out on the beautifully tragic and heart-wrenching scenes of the Citadel DLC, starting with Thane's memorial service. Not ready. We are gathered here to honor the life of Thane Krios. Thane touched each of our lives in different ways. The Counselor knew him as a hero. The Normandy's crew knew him as a brother in arms. And others as a father devoted to his son. Though his life took him to very dark places, Thane cared for the better angels of our nature. 
He once said that he first felt love for his wife when she stepped in front of an assassin to save someone she didn't even know. And when he knew his death was close, he chose to die doing nearly the same thing. Also for someone he didn't even know. Just as he loved his wife for it, I still love him for it. And I don't think that will ever change. You can hear the tears in her voice so bad. Like, there's a reason that we love these characters so much. And it is the writing. It is the voice acting. It is the powerful moments like this affect us all. I think it's really good that they gave us a memorial service for Thane because we don't really get one for anyone else that dies uh, up until the very end where like, the end clip plays and your shepherd isn't there. So we don't get to feel like we're participating in it the way that we are here. And it's kind of unique because we have this huge war where we hear about everyone dying around us, but we don't actually know any of them really. And so Thane's also this face for all of those nameless people who are dying in this war because of this war. And even though he was going to die anyway, he died because he was fighting in this war. And so we get to mourn all of that too alongside Thane. So I think it was really smart that they added that into the Citadel DLC. It's a really nice, I mean, they, they went so hard with Thane for the Citadel DLC. We got so much, so much closure in a way that we couldn't get with any other romance because Thane left first. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so good. And the next moments that we have with Thane in the Citadel DLC the first among them are his video messages during the party. You will get video messages that you can watch. If you didn't romance him, you'll have three where he'll talk about his efforts to get in contact with you throughout your imprisonment with the Alliance. And if you did romance him, you will get a fourth message. The fourth one starts with Thane saying that he once had no reason to live, but Shepard gave him two, Kolya and Shepard. He tells her that he was given a purpose again with the Collector's mission and that his life has become so much better because of her. That even though his time on this plane of existence is ending, they are alive now. And when they're not, he'll wait for her across the sea. He says this a lot. He's known how precious time is for some time now and has wanted to impress upon Shepard that no matter how little they have now, they will be together again someday in another time in another life. I personally like to think that Thane and Morden are together on that shore, studying seashells and waiting for their friends to join them. Unlike the other companions, you don't have a final goodbye with Thane before the beam run. But there is one moment that is special. A true goodbye, even though Thane isn't really there. At the dock railings, right before getting back on the Normandy, to finish the fight, a squad mate, usually your lover, tells you that it was a damn good ride. 
Shepard replies, the best. This is normally where the conversation ends. The camera lingers on the Normandy in the dock as Shepard makes their way onto the pier. But not with a romanced Thane. Shepard lingers at the railing, and Thane walks up. He's a spirit and not really there at all, but she is clearly thinking about what he might say if he were there. I am glad you were able to take time to celebrate. You deserve it. I wish you could have been here with me. I am always with you, Siha. I would not trade the time I had with you for anything. It was a good fight. A great fight. Then go and finish it. And when you go to the sea, I will be waiting for you at the shore. no idea that this scene existed before I did the research for this episode. Like, I romanced Thane, but only one time, and that was when this game first came out, and I never played the Citadel DLC. And so I had seen the clips of the video messages, but, like, I've never really heard anyone talk about this scene, and so when I just watched the whole romance video all the way through and it came up, I literally was crying so much. I had no idea. I thought it was the, maybe some people thought it was stupid, but I thought it was the best thing ever. It's so good. I love that. I mean, even if she was just making that up in her head, like how comforting would that be? I mean, Shepard knows. Shepard's already died once. She knows what the chances are. How comforting would that be to go towards your lover instead of away from them with every step that you have to take anyway, to know that he's just waiting for you? I love that. It works so well for him as a character and for there were, I don't know, like, it's just, I love, I love Garrus. Don't get me wrong. He's like my, always my canon romance for Mass Effect as he is for you as well. But Thane is so close right there with him because it's just this, I guess, the nature of an RPG is, you know, this, if you choose to play this Shepard, Thane makes a lot of sense with her. Yeah. Oh, So, immediately after um, after this scene, in the video that I watched, um, you're then back on the Normandy, and uh, an email pops up. And so, I don't know exactly when this email triggers, but it specifically happens after Thane dies. It's like part of his last will and testament that this email gets sent out to Shepard. I knew that I would not be able to read it live without crying my fucking eyes out. So I pre-recorded it. Um, So I'll play that for you now. Never lose hope. See, huh? I write this with a heavy hand, knowing you will read this letter when I am no longer able to share my thoughts. I am dying, Siha. Perhaps because of the differences between our species, 
I can hope that time will treat you with kindness and dim the hurt of my passing to faded recollections that a drell would forever remember with perfect clarity. Selfishly, however, I cannot leave this world without leaving a piece of me behind that would never fade. I once accepted my fate. Nothing remained but a shell destined to die. I only had to choose the when and how of my passing. I had refused to be confined to a bed, gasping horribly as my life beeped away to a machinery I had no use for. I thought of my Erica, broken, bloodied, and betrayed by my absence. Of Colyette, small and afraid, bravely pushing at his eyes to stem the flow of tears I had entrusted him to cry. For both our sakes, the expectation to move swiftly to my end vanished upon uniting with your cause. You awoke me, shepherd. My heart quickened in its sluggish beat, if only to remain at your side and protect you with everything that I am. I was content to simply watch. Take the time left given and praise all I know for allowing me to walk my final days with hope and certainty that I am worthy of more than my cold isolation solely because you believed. I love you. If all else whispers back into the tide, know this for fact. By grace given me by the goddess Rarashu, I bid her divine protection to you, my warrior angel, my Siha, to succeed in your destiny, to light your path through the coming darkness, to give you hope when all else seems lost. I will await you across the sea. I don't want to be here anymore. God. I hadn't read that in a long time, so I forgot all of it. Yeah, this is why I love Thane. I am a wordy bitch, so you write me beautiful images like that, laying out your entire heart on the page. Sign me up. Yeah. What a beautiful thing. And it also makes the loss so much worse, knowing how great it was. Yeah. It is a tragic run. But it's so, like, very easily, hands down, my favorite femship romance dialogue delivery is in the Thane romance. Like, just taking the one single line out. Like, that, it, it has my favorite. So it's good in that sense. And they are sweet. Kind, they are caring, they're mature. I think mm -hmm. that's another big thing about the Thane romance that I really appreciate. Is the fact that it's like, yeah, the Thane canonically is somewhere in his 40s, I guess. They don't really give him a solid age that I'm aware of. And so, and he's a dad. 
And it just mm-hmm. makes sense that his romance is a lot more mature. I know. I think that's why I now, like when I first played this game, let's see, it came out in 2010. I was 21. And I played the same romance, but I chose Garrus and I still would choose Garrus. I still love Garrus, but like now as an older person with a child of my own, Thane feels more appropriate in a lot of ways. Like the rest of, a lot of the companions are very, very young. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cute and innocent and like first love. Like that's also why I really think I've changed my, one of the reasons I've changed my tune about Miranda is because she's also older. She's like in her thirties. So it's also a very mature love. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's a good time. It's a good time. Thank you, Bioware, whoever wrote that. You deserve all the praise. Or I'm sure there's more than one person who wrote that, but, you know. I also love how many times, maybe this gets old for some people, that when he says, I'll meet you across the sea, or I'll be waiting for you at the shore. Maybe some people get sick of that, but I think it's awesome how many times he reassures her. At least he believes that that is where he's going and that he'll wait for her. I think that's really nice. Yeah. I fully agree with that. I, it's one of those reassuring touch phrases, touchstones that is integral to really a relationship. You know, like uh, you talked earlier about having a, a matching tattoo with your husband, and I have one too. Mm-hmm. And it is our touchstone phrase. Um, on our wedding fingers, it says the words and then. Because that has always come, it's been a major part of how we talk to each other because it's like, I love you forever and ever and then and then and then and then and then. And so we just got Mm. the words and then tattooed on our ring fingers as the symbology of we're in this, honey. I love you forever and ever and then and then. And yes, it started off as a stupid joke after we watched Dude Where's My Car. And so for Thane to have that touch phrase I'll meet you across the sea. I could see Femshep's tattoo being something like an ocean scene or a sunset horizon. Yeah. I mean, it's also one of the only ways, aside from outright saying I love you, to say I love you because he doesn't have a future with her in the same realm, <laughs> like alive together. So, to promise himself to her is to say he'll wait for her. Yeah, it's good. It's a good time. Are we ready to yeah. wrap up the show, V? If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes or on that new Spotify feature. I love reading all of your comments. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me on the Cyberpunk Lorecast with my co-host Toasty, where we explore the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk. And of course, in our Two Girls One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. Come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash two girls one ship. Links to those are in the description. And I am also on the Robots Radio Discord and on our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. B 
Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening. And remember that beauty is in the eye of the controller. <laughs> thanks, Mark Mir. <laughs>